Well, when I was in high school, I led this club called FCA, stands for Fellowship of Christian Athletes. It's actually still going on. It's amazing. But I was the leader and the person that would go teach every single week to all my friends about Jesus. And I would proclaim the gospel news. I would tell them all about how wonderful Jesus is, how he transforms lives, and how he does amazing things. And then behind the scenes, outside of Wednesday mornings, I would live a very sinful life and not one dedicated to Jesus. So that's one side of the gospel where you proclaim it, you say how much it's awesome, but you don't actually live it out. And then there's the other side of the gospel and being a Christian where I live it out, I do all the right things, but I'm silent about it. And I don't tell people the good news about Jesus. Now these next two weeks, today and then next week, are kind of split into two parts. Today, we are continuing our series of Out of Control. But today we're talking about this gospel, the amazing, the beauty, everything about how wonderful the gospel is. And how Paul, even in chains, was still able to proclaim the gospel. And because of that, God did amazing things to help spread it for the kingdom. And then next week we're talking about how our lives should be changed because of the gospel. As Christians, we don't get the option. You say that you are a follower of Jesus. If you're a true, genuine follower of Jesus, you don't get the choice. You don't get to proclaim it and then live the sinful life behind the scenes. You also don't get to live the life but then be ashamed anytime ask, someone asks you, are you a Christian? Jesus has not left that up to us. He said you have to do both. Because as a Christ follower, you'll proclaim me loudly and you'll continue to live behind the scenes like me. And even if you're living like me and even if you're facing persecution, you're still going to proclaim it. Because he sacrificed all for you. So we should be willing to sacrifice all for him. That's the beauty of the gospel. It doesn't even give us the option either. It's not that I have to be afraid or it's not that if, you know, this gospel doesn't change my life. Because the beauty of it, it, beauty of it is it does. It does change your life. If you choose to proclaim it, it should change your life. It should make you transform. And then on this side of things, it should leave you wanting to tell it to people because of the good news. And in fact, we'll see today that if we don't share it, we're not being loving and we're just being ashamed by it. So let's read verses 12 through 14 right now. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul says, I want you to know. He says this a lot in his letters, not just in Philippians, but all of his letters. He says, I want you to know, because he's saying, this is important. It's important that his imprisonment, even though he's in prison and he's chained up, the gospel is being spread because of it. It's important that they know that. 
Because right now, in this time of history, in about six in the sixties AD, Christianity is not being the religion that everyone favors to. In fact, people hate Christians in this time period. And so he's wanting them to know, don't be ashamed. I'm in chains, but look at me. The gospel's being spread even though I'm in chains. And we have to wonder, what is so beautiful about the gospel that he should be able to share it even though he's in chains? Well, let's look at the prodigal son, for example. You don't need to turn there, but look at the prodigal son. God takes brokenness and a man that's running away from God and he brings him back to him. But he doesn't just bring him back to him and say, you have to come to me. No, God runs after him. He says, you're a sinner. You can't do it by yourself. So I'm going to run after you because I care and love you so much. He says, you can't do it on your own. So I'm going to do it for you. I'm going to run after you. That's the beauty of the gospel. That although you were sinful, you couldn't do it on your own. You couldn't overcome the weight of sin because it just kept on pressing you further and further down. He says, I love you and I want you. And I'm going to pursue after you until you say yes to me. I'm not going to force it, but I'm going to keep running after you until you say yes. Frank Viola says this, while brokenness is difficult, it's beautiful because it makes God look good. Your natural gifts draw attention to yourself while brokenness draws attention to your Lord. With this in mind, power is dangerous in the hands of an unbroken vessel. Hemingway fittingly said, the world breaks everyone and afterward may, many are strong at the broken places. The, Christians, the Christian understands that God is the one who breaks us and he uses the world as his instrument for doing so. Paul's saying, I'm in chains. I'm broken, but God's using it for his glory. God is using his brokenness, his, the fact that he's in chains for his glory. The imperial guard, if you don't know what this is in all of history, Rome had this imperial guard. And they were the people that kind of watched over this palace that Paul was stuck in. See, the jail cell that Paul was most likely in was not even a jail cell. In fact, he had all rights to this palace in Rome, but he had to stay there. He was confined there. But there were many guards watching to make sure he didn't get out. And so when Paul says the whole imperial guard has been able to know Christ because of Jesus putting him there, he's saying, look, although this doesn't seem ideal, pro probably being in jail does not seem ideal to any of you, Jesus did it for his good because he's sovereign. If you don't remember in our series, where the road takes us, sovereign means he's in control of all things. He has a plan. He knows all things that are going to happen. And then on top of this, not just the imperial guards, but all the brothers that are also locked up, all the other Christians that are locked up get to know Christ because Paul is being bold and able to share, even though he's in chains. So although he's being persecuted against, although all Christians, for this matter, are being persecuted against, the imperial guard gets to know him, and all other brothers are strengthened and made bold because of what Paul is doing right now. So for you, what does that mean for you guys? 
That means when you share the gospel, when you actually live it out and you tell people about them, other believers around you who may have been too scared, they're like, well, yeah, I'm doing this Christian thing, but, and yeah, I read my Bible, and yeah, I go to youth group, but you were too afraid to tell people about it at school? When people over here share the gospel of Jesus Christ, people over here are made bold and say, you know what? They're doing it. I can do it too. I can come alongside them. That's two people right there. Well, then two more people can come along, and then it's four, eight, 16, so on and so forth, right? That's how math works. Jesus is saying the gospel is worth living for. And Paul is taking that, and he's running with it, and he's sharing the gospel, and people are coming to know him. And then on top of that, people are becoming more bold and then sharing it even more and more. It just trickles out. It's like the domino effect. When you push one domino, multiple fall. But then when one domino is not lined up, it just stops. We shouldn't be the domino that just stops. Sometimes it's scary and dangerous to share the gospel. But we ought to. We have a call to. Like I said, the gospel doesn't leave it up to you to share it. Either you're all in for Jesus or you're not living for him at all. That's pretty harsh. But let me give you some encouragement here. Paul most likely wrote this letter to the Philippians in 62 AD. In 64 AD, there was an emperor named Nero that came on the scene and was like, you know what? I don't like these Christians. And so he set all of Rome on fire. I wish I had the picture. I don't, but this is also 62 AD, so they didn't really have cameras back then. But he set the whole city, country, whatever you want to say, of Rome on fire. And he says, you know what? I didn't do it. The Christians did it. You should get them. So you know what he did? He attacked them. And it says this in one of the reports I was looking at. It says, Nero's attempt to explain the disaster and de deflect criticism of himself all failed until he declared that the fire had been started by the small Christian community in Rome. Arrested, thrown to wild beasts, and crucified, the Christians were rounded up and sacrificed. While the persecution began in Rome, it spread to all province, provinces of the empire. Because the Roman Empire was not just in Rome, it was all throughout the world. It spread so far. So it wasn't just in Rome that they were doing this, they were doing it through all the empire. Already suspect for the sacramental rites and accused by the Jews of all sorts of evil practices, the Christians' refusal to worship Caesar as a god brought charges of treason. Although the numbers of believers killed is unknown, it likely included the apostles Paul and Peter. Nero would then take Christians and he would hang them up in his garden and he would light them on fire and say, wow. And he would ride in his chariot and say, wow, look at you guys. You are finally the lights of the world. And he would mock them. And I hope that doesn't sit well with you. And I hope you think to yourself, wow, they continually day in, day out, lived like Christ and kept on proclaiming him, even though they were being killed. They were being what we call martyred because they loved and trusted this gospel and how beautiful and how amazing it is. 
hope that encourages you to realize, man, I'm never going to probably be killed for my faith. Because we live in a country where they set up boundaries where you can't really do that. You might be hated. In fact, it's not really the cool thing anymore to be Christian. You might be made fun of, but you're not going to be killed. No sense. And even if you were threatened to be killed, and if you were put in a position where you might be killed, God is saying, Jesus is saying, Paul is saying, he did it for you. You should be willing to do it for me. And that's a lot to throw at you guys. You guys are in middle school and high school. That's a lot. But the point is, the gospel is worth living for. The gospel should bring us to a point where I might be persecuted, I might be thrown into chains because of this, but I'm going to live for it because it's that beautiful, it's that amazing. Because he saved you, you should be willing to live for him. So I ask you, are you ashamed to live for the gospel? Now verse 15, it says this, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Now Paul is saying, the gospel is being preached. It doesn't matter that he's in chains, but he's, the gospel is still being preached. And all these people, whether they're doing it out of good intentions or they're doing it out of bad intentions, the gospel is still being preached. The gospel in the sense, he says, is either preached out of love or out of envy and jealousy, or jealousy and envy and strife. And they hate that Paul preaches and gets all this fame out of it. But he's saying one of two things right here. He's saying, you know what? They're still preaching in the, with the wrong intentions in mind. But you know what? It doesn't matter because the gospel is still being proclaimed. And then over here in this side, in this awesome camp, he says, you know what? People see the imprisonment of Paul and they're inspired so they keep preaching it out of love. So this means one of two things for us. Either we need to not try to do it out of wrong intentions. See, for me, when I was leading FCA, I would lead, I would teach because I wanted people to see, look at James, look at, look at him go. He's teaching, he's doing wonderful, he's playing fun games, he's doing all these things. He's like a youth pastor, but he's like only 16, wow, look at him. I was doing it for the wrong intentions. I was doing it for myself. But he's also saying, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what the cost is. Preach the gospel. And these people, they would see He's in chains and he's still doing it. Therefore, I'm going to do it to keep pushing the gospel for the love of God. And they wouldn't only do that, but they also preach in truth. I think that's important. And something that we don't tend to do and don't tend to see very much anymore, that people preach the gospel in truth. There's a lot of watered-down gospels out there, basically meaning that they focus on the love of God, which is very true. God is love. But you can't have love without the truth of everything that surrounds it. And everything that surrounds it is sin, 
and there's a consequence for our sin. It leads to death. And not death that leads to heaven, but death that leads to hell. And unfortunately, that's the truth. So why wouldn't I preach the gospel to people to help them not just get out of hell, but help them come to a loving and amazing relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Because that's the good news. That's the beauty of the gospel. Verse 18 through 20 says this, yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul continues to proclaim he says it doesn't matter if it's life or death, this gospel is good. This gospel is beautiful. He loves the Lord. He says it doesn't matter if I'm in chains. It doesn't matter if I die. I'm still going to proclaim it even if it costs me my life. And so I ask you, do you love the gospel that much? Do you love the good news that Jesus Christ has offered to us? And next week, Josh is going to preach, and it's going to be awesome. He's going to talk about how this gospel should really change our lives, and we should be really willing to ask the question, am I willing to die for this, or am I just going to kind of live this out and not do much about it? It's going to be awesome. But I want to end with the story of this rat, you may call him, Ripicheep, from... The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Yes, I forgot the name. But Ripicheep, this rat, he has a zealous love and a fear for Aslan the Lion. So Aslan, he represents, in all of C.S. Lewis's work, beauty. And Ripicheep, in Voyage of the Dawn Treader, he comes to God, or to Aslan, who represents Jesus, and even before he gets there, he says, you know what? I don't care what it takes. He says this, my own plans are made. While I can, I sail east on the Dawn Treader. When she fails me, I paddle east in my coracle. When she sinks, I shall swim east with my four paws. And when I can swim no longer, if I have not reached Aslan's country or shot over the edge of the world and into some vast cataract, I shall sink with my nose to the sunrise. He says, I don't care what it takes. I'm going to pursue him with all I have. C.S. Lewis, who I've been reading a lot about, actually I haven't been reading a lot about him, I've just been reading some of his works. Mere Christianity, which is a great book, by the way. He talks about the gospel. How about how it's worth pursuing. And he breaks down all these misconceptions conceptions about what Christianity may be. He breaks down why anything outside of that may be wrong. And he says this in one of his chapters. It says, it is after you have realized that there is a more real moral law and a power behind the law and that you have broken that law and put yourself wrong with that power. It is after all this and not a moment sooner that Christianity begins to talk. When you know you are sick, page turn, you will listen to a doctor. 
when you have realized that you're that our position is nearly desperate, you will begin to understand that the Christians are talking about, what the Christians are talking about. They offer an explanation of how we got into our present state of both hating goodness and loving it. They offer an explanation of how God can be this impersonal mind at the back of the moral law and yet also a person. They tell you how the demands of this law, which you and I cannot meet, have been me on our behalf, how God himself becomes a man to save man from the disapproval of God. It is an old story, and if you want to go into it, you will no doubt consult people who have more authority to talk about it than I have. All I'm doing is to ask people to face the facts. And that fact is that we cannot do it on our own. That this gospel that C.S. Lewis talks about, that Paul talks about, that Jesus presents to all of us is that you cannot do it on your own. And therefore, he made himself a man to bear the sins of every man and every woman everywhere. And that's the beauty of the gospel, that Paul is willing to be in chains in and still rejoice that Jesus put him there. And that every single one of you, whether you're to be killed, whether you're you're to be put in chains, or whether you're to be made fun of at school, it doesn't matter. The gospel is still worth preaching. Because only the gospel can truly change lives. It's changed mine. It's changed all these leaders in this room. It has the power to change you. So what are you going to do about that? Are you going to be ashamed to present it? Or are you going to present it with boldness and hope other people walk alongside you and truly live out the call to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the love, the gospel, the true gospel of your son, Jesus Christ. That we were not good enough, but you made us righteous through your son's sacrifice if we want to be made righteous with him. Lord, I pray as we go into small groups, as we spend time together, as we eat together, as we have fun together, that we would truly see that you are the Lord of all things. You have made all things, all for which you can be glorified through. And I pray that we would choose to glorify you and choose to be Christians who walk out the call of what it means to be a disciple. You are good and we praise you. And we thank you for this. It's in your your name we pray. Amen.